I think nutrition is probably one of those really underrated things. I don't think we give it enough credit. And there are some people, of course, in our community who have greater barriers than others. You know, they have greater nutritional requirements. And I guess some of them might be obvious, but people who are socioeconomically disadvantaged or others who might have particular problems or diseases. And that can include things like diabetes or heart disease, or actually people who are really active as well because they put their bodies through a lot and they might need a bit more nutrition. Hi, I'm Julie Meek, dietitian and performance specialist, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Nutrition is an integral part of overall health and one that is often neglected. It is even more important as people get older or experience significant health challenges. Pharmacists can play an important role in supporting their patients with their nutritional needs, as well as noticing when things aren't quite right and referring them on to get some help. Abbott Australasia has sponsored today's podcast to help pharmacists learn more. Julie Meek is here to talk to us about the role of nutrition in supporting health throughout life. Here's Julie. Julie, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Let's set the scene a little. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background? Thanks, Daniel. Well, my journey started in country New South Wales in a teeny tiny town called Cootamundra. And so I worked in community and clinical dietetics, but I always knew that my passion laid in sports nutrition. So when I had finished there, I moved back to Western Australia and set up my private practice. And that's where I've been working ever since. And the beauty of my job now is that it is just so diverse. I am a sports dietitian, but I also work in the community. I'm a speaker. I work in media. So every day for me is very different. And very, very excitingly, I run yoga and wellness retreats in Italy and now Australia. Sounds very exciting. Very busy. Julie, as you said, you're a dietitian, so I'm sure you know how to eat well. But what about the rest of us? How important is nutrition in the scheme of our greater general health and is is it the same for everyone because we all see media reports and promotions and social media posts and they're pushing certain diets or claims and they change from week to week yet not everybody's the same their body composition isn't the same right no they're absolutely not and look it's easy to say that we all need to eat the same thing but we We don't, and we don't need to do that. The old saying of you are what you eat is actually true, but it really depends on what stage of life you're actually in. And even though, you know, I I do a lot of work with athletes, for example, I think the rest of us actually need to think about the fact that we have to perform day to day from morning to night, no matter what we do in our lives. And so no matter how old you are, you still need to be able to do that. And so no matter what age you are, you have different requirements and different needs. And so that changes in terms of nutrition. I think nutrition is probably one of those really underrated things. I don't think we give it enough credit. And there are some people, of course, in our community who have greater barriers than others. You know, they have greater nutritional requirements. And I guess some of them might be 
obvious, but people who are socioeconomically disadvantaged or others who might have particular problems or diseases, and that can include things like diabetes or heart disease, or actually people who are really active as well because they put their bodies through a lot and they might need a bit more nutrition. And of course, the polar opposite of eating well and good nutrition is malnutrition. And I think a lot of people make the assumption that that can only happen in countries that are developing, whereas in Australia, for example, that happens all the time. I just, I don't think we're as aware of it. And so there's a lot of things that we need to think about in terms of nutrition and the aspects and the things that we need to do to make sure that what we eat is right for us as an individual. And of course, that means encouraging a wide variety of food because we need to get all of the whole range of vitamins and minerals, but we need to balance that amount of food that we eat with how much physical activity that we do. And of course, that physical activity is just as important as eating well. So it's safe to say that not every single person is the same, whether it's their physical makeup or the socioeconomic position that they're in. And of course, then they have different nutritional needs. You mentioned there that the stage of your life is important in terms of what you need to eat and your nutritional needs and obviously the exercise as well. It makes sense that elite athletes or those who are unwell have different dietary needs, but what is it about growing older? particularly that changes what people need to eat? Growing older or getting older, I think can sometimes sound really depressing because it's like, oh, something is is finishing. I saw a sign on the weekend, which I thought was really quite interesting. And it said, uh, are you over 55? Congratulations. That's the best news ever. And when I looked at that sign, I realised it was for a retirement home. I thought that is, it's a good way of looking at it, I guess. But it's, it is something that I think we associate with an, a negative aspect. But as we do start to age, we, there's a number of things that actually happen to us like physiologically that do mean we have to eat a little bit differently because we can't stop them happening, which is unfortunate, but we can actually slow some of those processes down. Now, we know that you know on, on the outside of our bodies, we can see things that mean that we're aging and we're getting older, but I don't think we take into consideration the things that are going on internally. And one of the one of the big things is our digestive system because our digestive tract changes a bit because it becomes a lot slower. And then of course that means that your intestinal tract and the whole process is not working quite as efficiently. So that can result in constipation, for example. Now it's not a topic that everyone wants to talk about, but it's really important. And of course, if you've got less exercise, which seems to be the general trend as we get older, there might be medication involved, there might not be enough water, which is true for absolutely everybody. And they might not be eating as much fiber as should be in the diet. So all of those things can cause the whole digestive tract to not be working as well as it could be. And the other thing is, of course, our bones and our joints and our muscles. That's our whole structure that's keeping us upright, but they change a lot. So our bones can become a lot smaller and a lot less dense. And of course, that's an issue for breaks and and falls, etc. So what we actually do with our intake of food really has a massive impact on our bones. And also with our, our muscles, which do shrink as we get older quite naturally, they hold carbohydrate. 
carbohydrate is our stored energy source. And if we don't have as much of that stored, it means that we don't have as much fuel going to our brain. And that is absolutely gigantic because that has such a link to dementia. And then, of course, we have other things that can change the way we taste, like our taste buds change, swallowing can be affected. And of course, that that is really directly impacting what we're actually consuming. And then I guess the last thing is that when we eat in terms of the amount of food is that as people get older, generally you have less of an appetite. It's not true for everybody, but we sometimes eat a little bit less, which means that it's more difficult to get enough nutrients, enough vitamins, enough minerals in. And so that, of course, can then lead to a situation where we're just not getting the nutrition in. And that makes things super challenging. So what the research shows is that around 20 to 30%, which is a big number, of elderly Australians, which are living in our community and therefore for the pharmacists in their community as well, they're actually malnourished. And that, that is a really, I think, a staggering figure. You're right. That is a staggering figure. That's huge. I think that's way higher than a lot of people would have guessed if they were put on the spot. You mentioned pharmacists there. They are regularly seeing these older people who might be in that 20 to 30% walking around the community, not getting enough nutrients, being malnourished. It seems pharmacies are a great place for patients to touch base about their diet. How can pharmacists support the nutrition of these older people who are their patients who they clearly care a lot about? The interesting thing about pharmacists is that they are consistently held as the most respected and trusted of professionals out of all professions. And that's a really fantastic thing because quite often pharmacists are the first person that people might come to when they're experiencing an issue in terms of their health. So they might actually go to the pharmacist before they go to the doctor. And that's a really important connection. So that the role of the pharmacist has has obviously been a big one for a long time, but it is now, I think, even bigger. The pharmacy might actually be the first place that someone goes in a day and it might only be the only conversation they have in a day. So if they're feeling unwell and the pharmacist is in a position to actually ask questions of that person, then that can be you know, a really integral part of them getting well. And particularly if they're socially disadvantaged or distanced and they're really isolated. And I, I guess we need to realise that when pharmacists are speaking with patients about nutrition, obviously needs to be in a broader sense, but it is still a really important start to that conversation. So there doesn't need to be an in-depth dietary assessment, but there certainly needs some questions to be asked and I guess there's particular groups in the community that are at greater risk of malnutrition. And pharmacists are often well aware of this, but I think it's good to, you know, to have that reminder of who those people are. And I guess we're looking at people who are greater than 65 years, not always, but very often. They might not be physically mobile either, so they might have limited functional ability. There might also be some presence of dementia or anxiety and depression. And they also might be on a lot of different medications. So they might be coming into the pharmacy really often anyway. And then they might have other conditions like dysphagia or infection, some kind of pain disorder or anything really that can cause an issue with malabsorbing what they're actually eating. 
So there are people in the community that are coming into the pharmacy really often. And then I guess there's three really easy questions that the pharmacist can ask, which really helps us ask if that person might be malnourished. And the first really easy question, and this might be obvious as well if they're seeing them quite often, is have you lost weight recently without trying? Have your clothes become looser? Anything that you're wearing, has it become looser like a watch or jewellery or a belt or a waistband of your clothes? Are they becoming much looser? The second question might be about appetite. And like, has your appetite decreased over the last recent months? Do you have any difficulty in chewing or swallowing? And do you drink more than you might eat? They're all things that are really important to ask because they are things that are happening every single day in someone's day-to-day -day life. And then the last question would be about energy levels, asking the patient if they feel tired, do they feel fatigued and have they had less energy than usual? And maybe this is the first time that someone has actually asked them these questions. It, they may have already been happening, but asking those three particular questions is really important for a pharmacist. I think for me, listening to you speak there, and I hope the listeners are picking this up as well, is that you can see how some of these things are very much related. They don't appear or, or occur in silos. So they are some great questions for pharmacists to ask patients to get the conversation started around this topic. Have you lost weight, appetite, and energy? So Julia, if a pharmacist identifies an older person who isn't really getting the nutrition they need, what can they do? Is it a matter of just telling them to eat more and, and eat better food and, and help get some exercise or are there specific products or, or programs and services that can be recommended to them? I can remember a very embarrassing moment in my career. I was at the very beginning of it and somebody asked me how they could improve what they were eating, like they needed to put on some weight and I was quite naive and obviously inexperienced at the time and I remember saying to them, you just need to eat more there could not be a sillier answer because it is just simply not that easy. So asking people to do that can be physically impossible. And often food can be one of those things that is just really, they can't even think about. So if you think about the things that might actually prevent people eating more, there's quite a few of them, but sometimes it's easier for people to have an oral supplement and if they can't meet their nutritional needs through food alone, these can be absolutely fantastic. Now, the use of, I guess, what most people would think about in terms of supplements like vitamins and minerals, things like vitamin C or vitamin D or calcium, they're pretty mainstream for older people. But there's actually additional supplements from an oral perspective that can be really useful. Now, they can be powdered. They might be liquid. They could be semi-solid like a pudding. And those particular supplements can give patients extra calories, extra protein, carbohydrate, fat, the whole lot in a really easy and a smaller way than about the same way that food would. And for some people, like they might have had something happen in their life, like surgery, or they might have been ill. And so it might just be an extra bit to what they're already eating. But for some, it actually might be the only thing they're able to eat in the very short term. And I guess then we need to think about the fact that they can be really useful for any age group. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be elderly or getting older. It can be useful for anyone who finds it hard to get enough through food. But what we do know is that if you supplement a regular food intake, that's actually been shown 
clinically to improve outcomes in our musculoskeletal health. And so that in terms of total energy intake and weight gain is very, very important. And that connection between pharmacists and patients is just really crucial because that that conversation they might be having about food and what the outcomes or what the possibilities are, once again, that's in a broad sense, but that is a very, very good start in terms of getting people to think about those oral nutrition supplements. And then, of course, if you've actually done that screening that we spoke about before, asking the patient about what's happening for them right now, then asking them to come back at a specific time and date, and then you can obviously ask those questions again, but see how they've been going since you last saw them. Julie, on the eating more advice, is it also fair to say that while that could help, and noted those things that you said that it won't always help, it's not the right advice for everybody, it might be physically impossible, it's also probably more important that the individual eat more of the right type of food. It's an easy thing to say to people, eat more. And unfortunately, some of that assumption is, oh, fantastic. That means I can eat more chocolate or I could eat more of the chips or whatever it might be. So I think that's a really important point to raise because it is not just simply about eating more food. It's about eating the right food and making sure that most things that you actually put in your mouth have some kind of value. I don't have a problem with people, you know, eating chocolate or whatever their favourite sometimes food might be, but they do need to think about the things that are going to give them value first. And then if there's still room after that, then absolutely. It's great to know that pharmacists have options for recommending minor nutritional changes to their patients at risk of malnutrition. What is next if it isn't working or they seem like they aren't doing well with their nutrition? What should a pharmacist do then? If all those questions have been asked and there obviously is a deeper issue, the next step is to refer them to an accredited practicing dietitian. And that's really important because we're the ones that actually can look at the really in-depth stuff for that patient. The other thing you could do if you're not referring them is to collaborate with a dietitian because dietitians and pharmacists work really well together and so that we both want the same outcomes and that is a very good partnership. Now, if you wanted to connect with dietitians in your community, wherever your pharmacy is, I think that's one of the first and one of the most important steps to building that relationship. And so some ways that you could do that as a pharmacist is contact uh, the professional body, which is Dietitians Australia. That's the governing body and they have a list of accredited practicing dietitians. You ask for that list, which is in your area. You could also do something like hold a dietitians network mingle at the pharmacy. And you could do that in collaboration with an oral supplementation supplier because dietitians love food. I will tell you that. They like to they like to drink, they like to eat. That sounds really terrible, but it's the fact. So if you can actually combine those two things, then it's a great way to sort of introduce yourself to local nutrition community and start building those relationships. And then the other thing that you could do is those local dietitians that you've established, you could canvas them to see if they would be interested in actually having an allocated time at your pharmacy. And I know a lot of dietitians do this It's a really great way for introducing nutrition to your patients, but also that relationship three-way in that triangle is really fantastic. And holding regular events. 
So if you look at the health calendar, for example, there's a lot of different things across the year. And that might be things like malnutrition week. It could be bowel cancer awareness week. There's a whole range of things that are happening really regularly. And you could have an event at the pharmacy with the dietitian. And that is a really good way to add value to your pharmacy, but also to your patients. They've got a highly credible profession. They're ready to answer their questions. And are those types of regular events, because they're quite, those examples you gave, they're quite broad. You've got bowel cancer and and malnutrition and every topic seems to have a, a day now. It's hard for people to link those together and understand how they all work with their overall nutrition. Is it really just about getting people there and starting a conversation around their nutrition and then you have them engaged? As soon as you can get people there and you can get them chatting, it is is an interesting thing because when you start talking about nutrition, no matter what aspect it is, it often brings up more questions and answers because people will then realise, oh, I wanted to know about this and I wanted to know about that. But it is a really, I guess, an easy thing to get people together. You don't necessarily have to have a particular week or a particular day, but often it does help to have a little bit of a hook for something that people might be interested in. And then from there, you can you can plan whatever you like. But I think, yes, it is just starting that relationship and having the conversations. Pharmacists see people coming into their pharmacy all the time to buy supplements and things that are going to help with their nutrition. Sometimes they'll be using them because the pharmacists themselves have recommended it or maybe they've been to see their dietitian and their dietitian has recommended that they use those supplements, but they might not like the taste or they're having trouble knowing what to do with them in terms of how many times a day and volumes and things like that. How can pharmacists support those patients that are maybe struggling to know what to do or finding a supplement that works for them? We're very kind of, I guess, set in our ways. We get onto a good thing and then we keep going with it. And of course, you know, sometimes that gets really boring. And as we've spoken before, you know, the food first approach is obviously the best way to go. And I know that the pharmacists are doing that already and eating regularly. Yes, that's not always possible. So what do you do then? Well, if you're a pharmacist and you're standing in front of a patient who's saying, I have really low appetite, I can't swallow properly, I just feel really overwhelmed with what I need to eat. And that's honestly one of the biggest problems is that if there's a large volume of food that people need to eat or even fluid, they can't even try a little bit because it just seems like too much. And I guess some of the things that we need to consider when advising patients on oral supplements are things like overcoming flavour fatigue. And that might sound really strange, but this happens in the sports world as well. So my athletes will actually get fatigued from sports drink. In this particular case, when we're talking about oral nutrition supplements, you might love chocolate, but after you've had that for a month, your taste buds might be telling you absolutely cannot deal with chocolate anymore. So it's important to rotate flavours and keep them fresh by just trying a different one. And the pharmacist can play a really big role in that because they can show people how to do that. The other thing is fortifying foods rather than just having it as a drink because having extra fluid can sometimes be a difficulty in itself. Like having that volume in your stomach can keep you fuller for too long in some ways but also too full to eat anything else. So you might actually add the powder, for example, into something else. So that might be in 
milk because then it's not altering the volume of the milk. The powder might go into some mashed potato. It doesn't alter the volume, but it's just really pumping it up full of nutrition. So giving practical examples as a pharmacist is really important, giving people those ideas of how to do it. And I guess that really leads me on to the next bit, which is utilising recipes. So everybody loves a recipe. And as soon as they know how to do something, that becomes much easier. And if those recipes are appealing, they look fantastic and they look really palatable, then patients are much more likely to try them. So the pharmacist could have those recipes in store. Now, obviously, they might have their own recipes, but usually from the oral supplementation providers, they've got fantastic recipes as well. They might be available online, of course, but if you're looking at an elderly patient in front of you, that may not be available to them. So the actual written printed ones might work best. And then the other thing that pharmacists can do is encourage their patients to take their medications with the supplement. Because if they're already taking them with water, replace the water with the nutrition supplement. It's a great way of increasing the volume without having to increase anything else. And I think the other really important thing is making a taste test available in pharmacy because someone is there possibly going to buy that oral supplement but aren't really sure about which flavour they would like. So giving them a little taste of that I think is a, a really positive way of encouraging them that it's okay. It tastes good. It might not taste the way that you're perceiving that it might be. So there's quite a few things that pharmacists do need to think about and ways they can help their patients in terms of overcoming some of those issues. Julie, there has been so much amazing information in that chat so far and delivered in an easy to understand and relatable way. To start to round it out, what would you say is the one thing that pharmacists should take away from listening to you today? I think we all need to remember that we're very busy and that we, no matter what profession you're in, uh, it's overwhelming with the amount of information and the number of things that we need to do on a daily basis. So that's the first thing to realise that, that we're all susceptible to paralysis by analysis. And as a pharmacist, you're dealing with a lot of people every single day and to keep on top of things can be tricky. I know that we've discussed quite a few things today and our human inclination is to think, fantastic, there's five things that I've heard that I could do in the pharmacy. But actually, the best thing to do is just one of them because otherwise what happens is we think about things a lot and think about the things we could do, but the end result is actually zero. And there is a really good quote by a man named Josh Billings and he once said, be like a postage stamp stick to one thing until you get there. And I think that's a very good manager for anything or any changes that we're looking at doing in our professional or personal lives for that matter. But when you're in a pharmacy and there's things that you would like to do and change, I think that is a really good thing to think about. So be excited by the possibilities that we've spoken about today, but just stick to one thing. Get that sorted, get competent at it, and then you can actually move on to the next one. And I guess the question that I would ask of all pharmacists listening right now is what is the one thing that you are going to use today from the discussion that we've had and take action on in your pharmacy? Outstanding. Listeners, be more like a postage stamp. Julie Meek, dietitian and performance specialist, thank you so much for coming on the show today and discussing how nutrition influences health. An absolute pleasure, Daniel. Thank you. Oh, what a great episode. Thanks, Julie, for your insights on how pharmacists 
can support their patients and maintain their nutritional health. As we heard in today's show, nutrition supports overall health and learning more about how nutrition supports healthy aging can assist pharmacists screen for malnutrition. The Guild would like to thank Abbott Australasia for their commitment to this topic with their sponsorship of today's episode. Guild Learning and Development has developed an education module to complement this podcast and enhance pharmacists' knowledge of nutrition. If you would like more information or to complete further training, simply visit guilded.org.au. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 61 of the PBCN podcast. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.